Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Welcome to episode 28 of the Genealogy Gems Podcast. Um, bear with me this week. I'm, I've been losing my voice. We are passing throat bugs around our house, I think. And I'm starting to sound like a frog, but we're going to hang in there and get this podcast done. Um, but it's been a really fun week, actually. Um, I got really excited and determined this week to figure out how to publish a video podcast. And the result was the first Genealogy Gems video cast, which featured the Socks to America video. And for those of you who subscribe to the Genealogy Gems newsletter, you got the first announcement about the video cast. I transformed myself into a sock puppet (laughs) and announced the video cast with a video email. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that. Now, if you haven't subscribed yet to the free Genealogy Gems podcast newsletter, and you don't know what I'm talking about, me being a sock puppet in a video, stop what you're doing and go to genealogygems.tv and click the newsletter button. You'll be prompted to send me an email to genealogygemsnewsletter at gmail.com with your name, state or country, and how you first heard about the podcast. And then you'll be signed up and you'll receive um, the monthly newsletter as well as those extra special announcements that come out during the month. Video email is a lot of fun and I am sure that there's going to be more down the road. You know, listener Alan Scahill started all this when he sent in his Shark in the Gene Pool video for the uh, new listener page at the website. And I just thought that was so cool. And I asked him how he did it. He told me about the, um, that he uses the Logitech QuickCam UltraVision web camera. Not only can you send video emails really quick and easy, but you can select one of their animated characters and supply the voice for it and create a video. Now the characters are called their avatars, their representations of you know some character that you want to be in there. Really fun. I mean, can you imagine your grandchild getting an email from from you talking to them as a character from the animated movie Open Season, or some other character that they that they like? I know from the movie Open Season they have Boog the Bear and Elliot the Mule Deer, so it's a lot of fun. Now, I'll have a link in the show notes for episode 28 for you and a link on the, sh- on the store page on the website to the Logitech webcam so that you can take a look at it for yourself. And it, right now it has an amazing $60 rebate, which is one of the reasons that I jumped on it. And of course, anytime you access Amazon through the links on my website and you purchase any item on the Amazon website, you're supporting this podcast financially, which I really appreciate. You know, thanks to you guys, I was able this week to double my podcast storage space, which means I don't have to keep my episodes to 20 minutes anymore. I am so happy. Now I can go longer and I can also publish the video casts for you as well. So I hope you'll keep this in mind, you know, because we're approaching the holidays and you're going to probably start thinking about doing your Christmas shopping. So if you're doing it online, if you can do it through one of the links on the website, that would be terrific. It's because of you that Genealogy Gems podcast website and the podcast and the video casts are all possible. So I want to thank you very, very much. Well, let's get right into today's first gem. 
Today, we're going to face our fears. We're going to talk about making genealogy-related cold calls to strangers. When I was in my early 20s, I worked for a large corporation that treated its employees pretty well. And they were big advocates of ongoing training. Even though I was just a secretary at that time, I got to go to at least two paid training seminars per year. Not everyone liked going out and getting off-site training, but for me, it was a real treat. I love to learn, and it certainly wasn't a bad thing to get away from the typewriter and the phones for a day. We got to pick the training that we wanted, and one of those times, I took a one-day seminar in giving presentations. Deep down, I knew that one day I wanted to be helping and teaching people, and for some reason, I just don't fear public speaking like so many people do. So I was excited about attending this seminar where I could learn how the professionals did it. I'll never forget getting my coffee and sitting down at one of those long tables of participants and watching the teacher walk up to the podium with something in her hand. She looked at the audience and said, I'm really excited to be here today to teach you about giving excellent presentations. You know, my company offers a wide range of great classes, and I know that they're not cheap. She held up the envelope in her hand and continued. Here I have an envelope, she said, and inside is a $100 gift certificate. The gift certificate can be used for any class that my company offers, and it's free for the taking. The 75 of us in the audience sat hushed at our tables. She leaned in and said firmly, I guess the question is, who wants it? Again, silence. A few folks kind of squirmed a bit. Well, I looked around. Now, you have to remember I was about 25 years old at the time, and there were a lot of pretty important-looking executive types sitting quietly all around me. I hadn't been to many of these seminars. I thought to myself, well, I want it. The speaker stood patiently holding the envelope in the air. I looked around and was more and more surprised that nobody moved. Then I shocked myself. I stood up, paused for a moment to see if anybody would tell me to sit down. Nobody did. Then I quickly made my way past the others in my row and walked up to the podium. I swear I heard a few gasps in the audience. I stood right in front of her and God and everyone, and I started to slowly reach for the envelope, and I said, can I have it? The speaker looked down, smiled, and said, of course, and handed me the envelope. A great wave of excitement covered me. I hadn't gotten in trouble. I had a $100 gift certificate in my hand, and I quickly made my way back to my seat, feeling the unbelieving eyes of the other participants drilling into my back. The speaker smiled at the audience, and she said, Sometimes, the only difference between being successful and not being successful is if you're willing to ask for what you want. This brings me to today's gem. As scary as it might seem to pick up the phone and call a stranger to ask about your family history, it may be the difference in whether or not you get what you want, which is to learn more about your family. 
It's a funny thing, but I don't recall ever reading a genealogy magazine article or blog that addressed the subject of calling strangers. I mean, we talk about interviewing family members, but calling an outright stranger who is a possible research lead is not for the faint of heart. This is tough stuff. And yet when you do it, and it's done well, it can be an incredible source for research breakthroughs. So today, we're going to ask for what we want from a perfect stranger over the telephone. On the telephone, I can feel you. And it seems my own that I'm near you. Feel that talking can be. You are ever haunting me. Even in my dreams, you are calling. With a voice that seems so enthralling. And I love the pure Today, I am talking with one of my genealogy partners, and that is my cousin, Carolyn Ender. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, folks, one of the really interesting things is I feel like I know Carolyn so well. We have um, emailed, we've shared pictures, we've shared those aha moments, but the funny thing is we've never met. And um, so this is kind of a really, uh, Carolyn lives out in Texas, and I live in, ca in California. And so, um, but she was the first person I thought of when I realized I wanted to do a segment on this topic of getting up the courage to interview people that we don't know. And one of the things that Carolyn is awfully good at is making those calls to people that she hasn't met before, maybe somebody that somebody has referred her to. And I have been the beneficiary of so many of the wonderful documents that she has uh, typed up and transcribed her notes from those various interviews about our family. So today, Carolyn, I'm hoping that we can just um, impart some of that knowledge and maybe some of that courage that you've had in making some of these phone calls and, and hopefully... Um, encourage the listeners out there to, to know that they can do the same and the wealth of information that can come from making those kinds of calls. Have you found them to be a good resource in your family history research? Yes, Lisa, I really have. It's been one of the best 
things that I've done, one of the best resources, and it hasn't always been easy. In fact, almost every call, um, I, I begin feeling like this, you know, this is really hard, but I really try to uh, get away from thinking that and um, just know that it is a, a wonderful resource. Exactly. Um, now, maybe you can just, we'll back up a little bit and share with the folks who are listening about how long you've been researching your family. Well, I really started about 32 years ago, and I can come up with an exact number like that because I know that my daughter was just a baby when I started. And um, my husband and I both started working on both of our families. It was something that we were both very much interested in. Um, I would work on it off and on through the years, um, putting it aside, just not enough time, raising a family and other demands. But about six years ago, I believe it was early in 2001, actually about the time that you and I really connected, uh, that's when I just said, this is it. I really want to do this, uh, and I'm, I'm going to do it. So I've been really working hard at it since that time. Now, Carolyn... Tell us, are you, would you consider yourself to be uh, an A personality, very um, upfront kind of gal, or do you find yourself a little more on the shy side? How would you characterize your personality? I would definitely say I'm more on the shy side. Definitely. And, and that's kind of a little bit what I've picked up on in, in some of our conversations, and yet uh, you've had this wonderful ability to um, overcome it and as I said, to make some calls that have really landed you some some terrific family information. Um, let's let's start by just kind of walking through the process. Um, because I know I was asking around at my local genealogical society meeting, and there are a lot of folks who've never made a phone call to somebody, let's say, across the country who they've never met, who they know will not know them from Adam. So let's try and walk through the process that you use and uh, hopefully this is something that they could follow. Okay, that will be great. Well, now, uh, the first thing I'm assuming that you do is as you're working through your research, somehow, in some way, a person has come to your attention or been identified as a person who may very well hold some key information. So how do you go about figuring out how to find this person or how to contact them? Well, um, usually I will be working on a particular family group or a, a particular person in the, the group that I'm working on, and I've just kind of come to a standstill. And so, you know, you're at that place where you're just saying, where can I go for more information? How can I get the next little breakthrough that I need? And of course, there are the records that can be researched, but a lot of times it's just a person, a, a living person that will have that information. And so I just try to begin um, looking at, at the, the people in this family group and saying, who is it that I could talk to? And then once you've uh, kind of honed in on a particular person, do you have any favorite uh, websites or methods that you use to try and get their phone number? Well, um, there are a couple that have been real helpful to me. Uh, one is a website called Anywho. That's A-N-Y-W-H-O dot com. 
Another one is people.yahoo.com. Those two have been helpful for me. And then, of course, Google is um, a very good place to start. Sometimes I'll do that before going to one of the other websites. And then also, I will definitely consider who are other relatives that I'm already in contact with that may know this person that I want to reach, may even already have their phone number. Uh, sometimes I may not know the city that the person lives in, and sometimes another relative will be a very good place to start. That's a great idea, and I will um, have all of those websites listed in the show notes for today's episode. I know one of my favorite websites is the whoware.com. It's Again, you find that most of them are just you put in the first name, the last name, and keep your fingers crossed when you hit the search button. And, and it seems like nine times out of ten, you can usually get a hit for a phone number. I think you're right. Um, there are definitely some good sources nowadays that we didn't have just a few years ago. So um, exactly, it's, it's worth a try. Great. So now you've got the person identified and you have, thank goodness, a phone number. You kind of know where this person's located. Um, what kind of planning do you do before you pick up the phone and, and start dialing? What, how do you plan for your conversation? Well, one thing to do is to uh, consider where this person lives. Maybe they are on the opposite end of the country from where I'm living, and I need to consider are they in a different time zone than I'm in? Um, I don't want to call them in the middle of the night or call too early in the morning. So for me personally, I try not to call before 8 o'clock in the morning. Even 9 o'clock is probably a better choice. And I try not to call anyone after 9 o'clock at night. That's a, that's a great point, is <laughs> thinking through kind of where they're located. Um, anything else that you do to plan ahead? Uh, yes. Also, I try to plan a time when I'm not going to feel too rushed. Also, uh, maybe consider um, an afternoon or an evening when I know my household is going to be fairly quiet. I don't have children in my household now, uh, but still sometimes there are other things going on that uh, may be creating a little extra noise. So if I can have maybe even just 30 minutes to an hour set aside where I know things are going to be kind of quiet. That helps me to get my head clear and and um, do what I need to do. I also try to do a, just a brief review of my notes on the um, family that I'm researching and also to make a list of specific questions that I would like to ask uh, another thing that I think is very helpful is to have my genealogy software program open and ready on the computer. So if I need to look up something real quick, I've got that information right there. I've got the computer on and, or have my written notes right at my fingertips where I can flip through and find things real quickly. That's a great idea because it, I know for me, uh, one of the greatest cures for nerves, you know, if I'm going to be speaking to a group or, or doing something, even before I record my podcast, it's being prepared. And it sounds like you make that effort and take a little bit of time to get prepared so that that cuts down at least on the butterflies <laughs> before you make the call. 
It really does. I, I think preparation is a very key part of it. Now, knowing that, that we're still going to have a bit of nerves, um, is there anything that you do? Is there a pep talk you give yourself? Um, anything that you tell yourself? Anything that kind of helps put things in perspectives to kind of ease the anxiety of making that call? Well, yes and no. I don't have a particular little speech that I give myself, but I think I do a little bit of, of what you could call self-talk. I just try to have a real positive mindset, just remind myself that I really can do this. It's not impossible. Yes, it is hard, but it is something that can be done. Um and when those little negative thoughts start to creep in, I just try to really push that aside and say, I can do this. This is important. This very possibly could be the one phone call that I need to have that next breakthrough. So I just really try to keep a real positive attitude about it. And that's a great incentive. You're right. This may be the call. And I know for me, sometimes I just tell myself, you know, all they can do is say no. And that's okay. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, but at least at least you know you tried. Okay, so we know that uh, there might be something wonderful on the horizon here with this phone call. So we've made we've we're making the phone call. What's what's the first thing you do? How do you introduce yourself to this stranger? Well, for me, I feel like that it's really good just to be upfront. Tell them who I am why I'm calling. I usually say my first and my last name. I tell them the town and the state that I live in. Um, I feel like I, I kind of try to put myself in that other person's shoes and say, if I got this phone call from a total stranger, I would probably feel a little bit more at ease knowing their full name, knowing where they live, and then I just go on to say, you know, I'm studying such and such family, doing some family history, and I've come across your name in my research, and I think there's a good chance that we are related. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm already very confident. I know that this person is in my family tree. I know I'm on the right trail, but I try to leave just a little bit of doubt there and just say, I think that we very possibly could be related and just say, I would like to ask you a few questions and talk with you about the family history. That, that sounds great. Now, let's, how do we take that next step into the family history? You know, you have, you don't really know yet when you make that phone call, what their knowledge of the family will be. So, so what do you, you know, kind of take as the next step? Well, I will try to mention a name, um, Maybe go ahead and mention a specific name that I'm really trying to hone in on. Or I may say, you know, I have some information that leads me to believe that this family lived in a certain county in Texas in, say, the early 1900s. And I may say, do you know anything about these people? Have you heard of them? Or do you have any information that you could share with me about these people? A lot of times they will just jump right in and start telling me things. Uh, other times it may come a little bit more slowly. Have there ever been times where it turned out you just had the wrong person? Uh, yes, it, it has. And it, it's a bit embarrassing at, at that moment, but <laughs> I guess the fact that we're not meeting face-to-face -face makes it a little bit easier. And I just <laughs> try to 
politely apologize, say I'm sorry for taking your time, I must have um, gotten the wrong number, and, um, you know, just apologize and, and politely end the call. Now, tell us, tell us, has anybody ever given you a hard time? Um, not really. Um, I've, I've had some calls where it just didn't flow. Um, there were those pauses, those moments where I almost didn't know what to say, and I kind of felt like the other person really wasn't too interested. Uh, so there have been some, some difficult calls. But and that would bring us to the idea of, of reluctant relatives. Um, you know, you're a, a, a very hospitable Southern woman, and, and I'm sure gr- so gracious on the telephone, I know that you are. Um, do you have anything, any um, suggestions for those of us if we run into somebody that does seem a bit reluctant to talk at first? Well, I think just um, just letting them know that you are just wanting to talk with them, um, find little ways to put them at ease that might be talking about a mutual relative. You know, I might mention my grandmother's name and say, you know, start talking about different memories of her that, that I have, and that may trigger a memory that they have. And sometimes they may just jump right in and say, yes, I remember that about so-and-so. And it may start them to ask questions of you, they may say, well, did you ever hear such and such about that person? Um, I think that that is one thing. Another idea might be to mention something of particular interest in the family history. For example, you might say, well, I have heard or I have documentation that my great-grandfather Jones was a colonel in the army in World War One, um, or my great aunt Bessie was a nurse in the Civil War, or something like that. Something in particular that might kind mm-hmm. of stand out and might kind of um, gain their interest in the topic. So I see what you're saying. It's um, it's funny. Sometimes people will will come right off the bat and say, "Oh, oh, I can't, you know, I don't remember a thing." And then you start sharing those stories, and, and I'll bet that they, all of a sudden, the memories start coming back a bit, much like doing um, an interview with a family member that you do know. Uh, that That is true. Uh, recently, my husband and I called um, an elderly person on his side of the family. We had talked with this person a few years ago, and she did not seem very interested in talking about the family and, and sharing her memories um, but we were passing through the city where she lives just a few months ago and decided to just give her a call and see if perhaps we could go by and visit her. Well, we called her, and she was not eager for us to come to her home, but she um, it ended up being very eager to talk over the phone. So it was interesting just how, once we got her started, she talked for a long time. Oh, that's great. And and that really brings us to now we've got the conversation flowing. We've um, kind of warmed them up. We've, we've shared a little bit about ourselves and about our memories. And um, what are you doing during the phone call? Are you trying to, you know, jot down notes on paper? Are you putting them in your database? How do you um, keep tabs of, of what's being discussed? Well, I found for me that it is 
a necessity to take notes during the conversation um, because you never know when that person may throw out a date or a name or the name of a town, something that is vital to um, your research. And I just feel like it's very important, at least for me, to take notes. Sometimes I do that by hand. There have been other times where I will, uh, if I can see we're really going to get into a, a, a good conversation, I will use my speakerphone and I may be sitting at my computer, open up a Word document, and I will just start typing out my notes right as we're talking. And of course later I have to go back and edit the notes and fill in a lot of the gaps. But definitely for me it's very important to take notes during the conversation. Well, and I've, like I said, I've been the recipient of, of copies of some of your notes, and I've always been um, so impressed with so much of the detail, and it sounds like you, you don't risk it to memory, that you are jotting as you go, and I suppose you could even use um, like a hands-free speakerphone, or, or you said a speakerphone, or like a headset maybe? Uh, sure, that's another option that would be great. Terrific. Now... If by chance you make the call and you get a voicemail, what do you do? I mean, do you go ahead and leave them a message or do you just keep trying back? There have been some times when I have not left a message, um, but with so many people having caller ID nowadays and ways of screening their phone calls, they're probably going to know that you called anyway. I feel like it's probably more courteous just to go ahead and leave a brief message. Just tell them my name, where I live, why I'm calling. I may not necessarily ask them to call me back. Uh, sometimes that's just almost a bit too much. Um, but I may say something like, well, I, I would really like to visit with you about the family history and I will try to reach you at a later time. And I think that's probably very courteous because oftentimes we are calling long distance and since we're the ones initiating the call, I guess it makes sense for us to at least, you know, make, you know, take the first call and, and cover the cost of it and help them to feel more comfortable with that ongoing relationship. Right. I, I think that that is the most courteous thing to do. Now, do you have some key, you know, I know that there are obviously some questions that you've put together before you make the call that are really specific about that family line. Um, but are there any kind of must-ask questions that you pretty much cover with everybody? Um, well, I, I try to um, I try to confirm some information that I already have just to really make sure that I am on the right trail. Um, you know, ask birth dates, even though I feel fairly confident about the dates that I have. You know, I will say, can you confirm that Grandma Jones was born on such and such and that she lived in this town? Um, things like that. Um, and then also the person I'm speaking with, I like to go ahead and ask their birth date if I don't already have that information. Great. And then how about things such as um, photographs or family Bibles? Now, wasn't there someone that you called, I remember, on um, our wise side of the family, and you ended up with 
quite a beautiful color portrait. Yes, that was that was just a real exciting thing that happened. And uh, quite honestly, that was one of the toughest calls that I probably have ever made in all the the I call them cold calls that I've made. I call this one um, relative, and she was just not real forthcoming at first. But I did ask about pictures, and that is one thing definitely that I do try to ask for. Uh, I say, you know, do you or does anyone else in your family have any family pictures? Sometimes I will specify a picture of a particular person. I uh, also ask if they or anyone else in the family has a family Bible that might contain family information. Um, and this one person in, in particular did mention a picture. She said, well, um, we have this picture of this person and it's been hanging on the wall for years and years. And she basically expressed that their part of the family did not have an interest in it. Um, and she actually offered the, the portrait to me, and um, my husband and I made a little trip one weekend, um, a, kind of a long holiday weekend, and we were just really blessed to receive this portrait of um, one of my ancestors. So that was really exciting. Oh, I remember when that happened, and, and I just think it seems like you're right. Cold calls, I think, are one of the only ways you have... Uh, you know, in addition to talking to regular family members, to unearth those photographs that otherwise you might never know about. Exactly. And, and I, I always try to put people at ease, and I tell them, you know, I'm not asking for your photographs. There have been a few times when I've just come out and said that, you know, I'm not asking for you to give me your photographs. I would only be interested in a copy. I really try to put them at ease. And um, I have had people send me copies. I have actually obtained a few originals, including this this one portrait. And um, but in general, um, I've been really fortunate in people being generous in sending copies of their photographs. Oh, that's absolutely that would be so exciting. If there's no other reason to make a call, that would be a, a wonderful reason. Um, well, you've told us you, you, she was one of the toughest calls that you made, just it was a little more difficult. Um, any, any other great stories of, of inspire us with some of your success stories? Um, any great call that kind of sticks out in your mind and you think, oh, I'm so glad I made that one? Well, I will share one brief story. Um, this was related to my husband's genealogy. Um, I had been asked by some of his relatives to help them find a sibling that had been placed for adoption back in the 1950s. And um, they had always wondered what had happened to this child, you know, where he was, and, and they had a little bit of information to go on, but um, it was kind of a, a mutual thing of them asking me to help and, and me volunteering to help. And um, it did require some effort, but, um, and of course, I won't go into all of the details, but in the end, I was able to locate this person. And oh, wow. that was probably one of the hardest, but one of the most exciting phone calls for me. It was kind of scary to call this person and uh, be the one to 
tell him that uh, I was connected with his birth family and that his birth family very much wanted to um, get in touch with him. It ended up being a wonderful, wonderful experience, uh, but it, it was uh, a bit scary for me as well. I can imagine, but, but good for you for doing that. I mean, that's exciting. So as we're wrapping up these phone calls, and hopefully we've, we've had a great success story, um, do you have any suggestions for ways to follow up or, or how do you wrap things up with someone like this that you've made a call to? I try to always ask them for their mailing address, and it's very possible I've already gotten their mailing address, maybe from another relative or from um, a website on the Internet. But I want to be sure that I do have the, the correct address, and so if all else fails, I will have a way to com uh, communicate with them. So I ask them for their address. Um, if it's a person that seems to um, use the Internet or seems likely to have an email address, I'll ask them for their email address and just let them know that I would like to be able to continue um, conversing with them in the future, let them know if I find out any more exciting news about the family history that I would like to share it with them. I also offer to give them my phone number and my email and mailing address and encourage them that if they come up with more information on the family or um, if one day they're cleaning out the attic and come across some wonderful old family photographs yes. to be sure and let me know. So that's usually how I kind of wrap it up, just to let them know I would like to, um, or, or that I would be pleased to hear from them again and give them my name and, and my information as well. Great idea. And I know when you and I were talking, um, you know, talking about uh, getting together on this topic, you mentioned even putting the person's birthday on your calendar and, you know, making sure you send them a, a birthday card the next time, just as kind of a follow-up reminder and a thank you. And I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, I really do um, like that. And I have followed up with um, several family members that way. Um, in fact, there's one in particular, she and I exchange birthday cards. We've been doing this for the past two or three years, and uh, I get a Christmas card from her every year. And so even though she's kind of what I call a long-lost cousin, um, she's really a newfound friend. So that, that's been really kind of fun. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Carolyn, I can't imagine if... if Carolyn Ender called me on the phone, which she did one day. <laughs> I just can't imagine anybody not being so thrilled to talk to you. You're always such a dear, sweet woman, and I really appreciate you taking the time to um, encourage the rest of us to make those calls. Um, and any any last ideas or, or inspirational thoughts you want to give us to, to help us take that leap? Well... I, I can't say it's the easiest thing in the world to do because it's not, but it's like many other things in our lives. Um, we have to take that first step and then the rewards are just enormous. And uh, I still get nervous. In fact, this afternoon I called a gentleman that I had talked with a few years ago and had not been in touch with him since then. And I just wanted to call again and say, oh, by the way, just wanted to see how you were doing. And we chit-chatted for a little while. And then I asked him, 
Um, have you come across any family pictures or have you heard anything else about the family? And the truth was that he had not. He had no more information to offer me. Um, but it, it was good. You never know. Uh, but yet I, I felt a bit nervous when I was calling because he's not someone that I really know and I hadn't talked to him in a few years. But once I made the call, I was very pleased to have that reconnection with him. So we have the the big benefit of gaining potential family history information. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you agree that it's that kind of the benefit we don't think about as often, which is our whole family is expanding and our friendships. And sometimes you just meet the nicest folks, whether or not they can help you fill in a, a database or not. So I just want to thank you so much, Carolyn, for um, talking with us today and sharing your ideas. I know we'll put them to good use. Oh, well, I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to talk, Lisa, and um, it's great to hear your voice again. You too, and next time we'll talk about the rodents and the herrings and make some more progress in our family. It sounds great. Great. Thanks. On the telephone, I can hear you, and it seems my own. I've talked to you about a service called Netflix. And Netflix.com is where you can order movies and TV shows and things that are available on DVD, and they're mailed directly to your house. Well, one of the really great things I have found now that I've been using the Netflix service is that you can rate a movie after you watch it. And Netflix will suggest other movies based on what you like and what you don't. Because of this feature, I've come across movies that I don't think I would ever have known about. Or, and best of all, they are right up my alley, just the kind of things I like. I love historical drama, and particularly movies with the theme of immigration. And that leads me to this next gem. It's a gem of a movie, and it's called Sweetland. Sweetland is a movie that uh, Netflix recently suggested to me, and I went ahead and I rented it. And it is a wonderful movie. If you enjoy historical fiction, if you're interested in uh, immigration to America at the turn of the 20th century, I know you're going to enjoy this movie. So let me start by reading the movie synopsis to you. And I am sure that you're going to see why I was so excited about it. 
Winner of the Audience Award for Best Narrative Feature at the 2005 Hamptons International Film Festival, Sweet Land is a poignant and lyrical celebration of land, love, and the American immigrant experience. When Lars Torvik's grandmother Inga dies in 2004, he is faced with a decision. Sell the family farm on which she lived since 1920 or cling to the legacy of the land. Seeking advice, he turns to the memory of Inga and the stories that she passed on to him. Inga arrives in Minnesota in 1920 to marry a young Norwegian farmer named Olaf, but her German heritage and lack of official immigration papers make her an object of suspicion in the small town, and she and Olaf are forbidden to marry. Alone and adrift, Inga goes to live with the family of Olaf's friend and neighbor Franzen and his wife Brownie, where she learns the English language, American ways, and a hard-won independence. Inga and Olaf slowly come to know each other, and against the backdrop of endless farmland and cathedral skies, they fall in love, a man and a woman united by the elemental forces of nature. Still unable to marry, they end up having to live together openly, he staying the night in the barn and she in the house, despite the scorn of the neighbors and the disapproval of the local minister. But when his friend Franzen's farm is threatened by foreclosure, Olaf takes a stand and the community unites around the young couple, finally accepting Inga as one of their own. What first drew me to this movie was the fact that it was a story about immigration at the turn of the century. But what I found was it was also that a wonderful, quiet movie, um, one that really focused on the storytelling. And you get to know the characters so well. Although I didn't recognize the actors who played the, the lead roles, I did recognize several familiar faces in some of the character actors. Um, Ned Beatty is in the film and, and some others that I'm sure that you'll recognize. Um, it's got beautiful cin cinematography. As I said, it's a very kind of quiet, personal type of film. And it's rated PG, so it's certainly something that the whole family could watch together if they wanted to. The movie does a great job of exploring the issues of the time of immigration, going through Ellis Island, um, dealing with prejudices that might have existed towards the Germans at the end of World War One, um, and just the everyday work of working the land and raising a family and trying to hang on to what you have. Sweetland just does a wonderful, wonderful job of telling the story. I know that you're going to love it. And the neat thing is, is that you might even share it with somebody who's not so much into family history. And I tell you, after watching this movie, I would bet that they would want to know a little bit more about their own ancestors. So check it out. Go to the show notes for episode 28. And I'll have um, not only a link for you to Netflix, but also to how to purchase the the DVD through Amazon, or you could even check with your local video store. This was a very small independent film, so I don't know how widely released it was, but at least we have a couple of different ways that you can access it, and I know that you're going to love it. I'll also see if I can't add a trailer for the movie to the actual, to my website, so that you could actually watch part of it and uh, see what you think. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful to get to spend this time together. Hopefully next week I'll be in a little better voice. But between now and then, you've got some phone calls to make and some movies to watch. So until next time, friend, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.